Good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I hope you're doing well this morning. Thank you so much for being here. And for those of you who uh, it's your first time, I'm really glad that you're here. My name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, today we begin a brand new series. And uh, we're going to be in this series uh, for the next four weeks called Steadfast. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, there have been a few times, more than a few times, in my life where uh, I made some decision to follow God or to follow him in obedience or to do what he said or made a decision that is something that's in advance of the gospel or to help someone else or to help or benefit our, our, my family or, or community or church. And as soon as I make the first step towards doing that, something or someone comes in and derails what God intended to be good. Have you ever been there on that? Am I the only one who hasn't been there? All right, very good, very good. Like we start out with so much passion and excitement about something that we know we're supposed to do and we go after it and all of a sudden, some kind of outside circumstance, some kind of outside person, or some factor comes in or we just get completely overwhelmed with a situation and we decide to stop that great thing that God has asked us to do. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be taking a look at some of the different things that some characters in the Bible, Jesus included, um, were up against when they were derailed in terms of their mission for the Lord and in terms of what God wanted them to do. And so today we begin with this idea of how skeptics and critics can derail us from God's best in our lives. Have any of you ever had someone who is a critic in your life? Let's just be real honest this morning. Those of you who aren't raising your hand, you're probably sitting right next to them, okay? I realize that's why you didn't raise your hand. You're smart. You're a liar, but you're smart. But that's okay. That's all right. That's cool. Um, (laughs) I got to tell you, James 1.12 says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Blessed is the man who remains, say that word with me, steadfast under trial. For when he or she has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And of the four different things that we're going to be talking about today, I'm just going to be really gut-level honest with you. For me, skeptics and critics are probably the thing that derails me the quickest, draws me into the deepest doubt and even despair and depression of anything else that we're going to talk about over these next few weeks. I even had a few moments in time when I thought, I need to find someone else who can preach this message because I need to be, I need to be sitting where you guys are sitting. And of course... Um, God has taught me so much just in preparing for this. Because we hear skeptics and we hear critics in our life in amazing and ridiculous and remarkable ways. They come from everywhere. They come when we least expect it. They come from the people that we least expect. They come from people that we absolutely expect. And we all probably have a different picture of what a, a, a skeptic and a critic in our life is. Um, I grew up in the 1970s and 80s, and there's a great picture of what skeptics and critics and even hecklers look like, and I want you to check out the screens here this morning. This show is awful. Terrible. Disgusting. See you next week? Of course. I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't watched it. Believe what? I don't know. I wasn't watching. 
I didn't like it. What do the avocado think? It's the pits. <laughs> I can't believe those rats were responsible for this show. Why not? They were also responsible for the bubonic plague. <laughs> Hey, you old fool! You slept through the show! Who's a fool? You watched it! <laughs> Finally, we've seen him do a good show! Good! Can we please stop coming now? No! <laughs> Man, you think this show is educational? Yes, it'll drive people to read books. What kind of show would you call that? Frankly, I'd call it quits! 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 <laughs> You guys, you guys remember Sadler and Waldorf? Those guys were great, weren't they? They were awesome. If only our skeptics and critics were like them, right? They would make us laugh. Instead, what do they do? They make us cry. They push us to the place of doubt. They cause us so much discouragement. And so today, we're going to be taking a look at a character in God's Word in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Nehemiah, who was called to do something great for God. I know I say this a lot, but Nehemiah is probably one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture. It happened right at, this story happened right at the end of the, New, of the Old Testament, right before God did what he did by sending his son Jesus to come in the world and save the world from his sin. In fact, what Nehemiah and Ezra were a part of and what Daniel were a part of, which was kind of in the same era of the Old Testament, all of those things led up to preparing the way, preparing the path for God to send Jesus, his son, to come into the world and save the world from our sins. And so we're going to see in this character of Nehemiah, a guy who was called to do something great for God, and hypercriticism invaded the situation, and we're going to see how he stood up against that. Uh, just a few weeks ago, David Lauderdale, who's uh, an opinion columnist for the Island Packet, our local paper here, um, wrote an excellent column about a survey that was done uh, for Hilton Head Islanders about the future of Hilton Head Island and the vision for the island. And it was done through a series of, and some of you might have been a part of this, uh, uh, informational meetings and then private uh, surveys, uh, confidential surveys, and um, some of you might have been a part of giving back a survey. And the, the group that did it, it, um, responded and wrote a detailed report on what it was all about. And David Lauderdale um, wrote in this opinion column that he had uh, just a few weeks ago that the consultant described Hilton Head Island as hypercritical. We got a big old slap in our hand, didn't we? If you read that article, it was like, wow, is that really true? And I love what David Lauderdale did with that article because what he said is he said essentially it's hard to have vision when there are so many people who are critical about what you're trying to do. But the other thing he pointed out, rightly so, and we may forget this sometimes, is that criticism and people who are skeptics and people who are critical exist everywhere. Hilton Head Island is not the place where critics go. Critics go, you know where they go? They go everywhere. They exist everywhere. There's no place on earth that is a critic-free zone. And if you find it, call me and tell me because I'm moving there, all right? Nehemiah was faced with so much. He was um, the child of a family who had been exiled, and he had been moved, his family had been moved from Jerusalem, their hometown, where their faith was and where their heritage began. And they had been moved into Babylon, and then Babylon was taken over by the Persians. He, and he, he had been moved uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from his home. 
And he was a Jewish guy who really kind of advanced in, in King Artaxerxes' court. And he was one of really his closest advisors. They called him the cupbearer to the king. And this man by the name of Nehemiah was a very influential character there in King Artaxerxes' court. And so he would get reports about Jerusalem. And the reports that he would get from Jerusalem about the people who were still there and about the condition of Jerusalem itself, it was not good. The reports were really sobering, incredibly bad. And I want to point to a few passages in Nehemiah. We're going to be taking a look at just a couple of verses from Nehemiah 1 through 4, chapters 1 through 4. Um, Nehemiah 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says this. Nehemiah says this, and they said to me, the remnant there in Jerusalem, in the province who have survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I what? What does it say he did? I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, often when we are called by God to do something great for him, it begins with this burden. It begins with something that rises up within us that's something of a passion to do something great for God. And that's true in Nehemiah's case. And he thought that his greatest critic would be the king himself. But to much to his surprise, the king granted him the ability to go back to Jerusalem. Not only did he grant him the ability to, but he sent him with a letter giving the king's permission to go back to Jerusalem to inspect the city, to inspect the wall. And not only did the king do that, but he sent him along with a group of people that would protect him and make sure that he got there. We read about it in Nehemiah 2, 8 and 10, 8 through 10. And the king granted me what I asked for. The good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent me with officers and the army uh, and of uh, officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it dis pleased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. You see, Nehemiah is all excited about going back to Jerusalem and doing this great work of rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And the first thing that we read about that he encounters on his way are two guys that are a little bit like Stadler and Waldorf. They're going to rise up against him, and it says right out of the gates that they, that they were very displeased that someone was coming back in Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. These were two men who were appointed to be governors or, or um, representatives over Jerusalem for their area. One was from Samaria, and one was an Ammonite, and neither of these worshipped the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so no wonder they didn't want Jerusalem to be rebuilt. They were two people that had importance and they had, um, they had great favor. And they were going to rise up against Nehemiah. Nehemiah also had supporters. We read about it in 17 through 20. Nehemiah chapter 2, then I said to them, talking about the people who were kind of gathering around him, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them 
of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. By the way, we see there that the Atlanta Falcons were God's team back then. Rise up, Atlanta Falcons. All right, so anyway, I'm just saying. All right, verse 18. No, the other service got that. I guess you guys aren't football fans. But anyway, thanks for laughing. That was a nice courtesy laugh. So they strengthened, they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, I want to stop here for a second. Nehemiah has gathered a lot of people who are doing or preparing to do the work of the Lord in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. These are people that Nehemiah is so excited about because they're skilled laborers and he knows that they have the ability to do what they're going to do. Yesterday here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, we had about 40 people um, who were a part. Some of you were a part of a, a work day around here and we had people out there helping build a playground, which isn't quite done yet, not because they didn't know how to do it, but because we got some parts that were wrong from the company and we're going to be working on that. We, we had people changing light bulbs up here. We had people working out uh, on the on the patio out there. We had people cleaning and dusting and doing all kind of things, stuffing Easter eggs. And I was so excited and it was so incredibly encouraging for our staff to see that, to see how many people showed up. I'm so thankful for those of you who showed up. And Nehemiah was probably encouraged and thankful that there were people that were going to help him. And so there he is with all of these things that are going on and they strengthened their hand for the good work. And verse 19 says this, but when... But when Sanballat and the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite, uh, Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper in verse 20. And we are his servants. We will arise and build but you, you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, this passion that's now turned into the reality that he's got people to help, all of a sudden, it seems like these two, and now a third one, people are going to be in his life trying to push him and the Jewish people off the task that God has given them to do. And sure enough, as the story goes, it gets worse and worse. Check out chapter 4. This is when the critics become, they begin to become dangerous in verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that they were, uh, were rebuilding the wall, he was angry. And he was greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they receive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish or burn ones at that? They are completely and absolutely criticizing what's going on. I mean, this is smack talk to its utter degree. Look at what Tobiah says in verse 3. The Ammonite, he was beside him, talking about Sanballat, and he said, yeah, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, will he break down the stone wall? In other words, these people can't build this wall. They don't know what they're doing. Have you ever had somebody do that or a group of people do that when you're about ready to do something amazing for God? Or God is ordering your circumstances or your path to do something amazing for him. And there are people that just are like Stadler and Waldorf. All they want to do is heckle and criticize. 
And what does Nehemiah do in chapter 4 and verse 4? He begins to pray. He cries out to God. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. We are despised. Turn back their taunt, he says. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And I love verse 6 because it begins with this statement. So we built the wall. In the end of the story, they do rebuild the wall. They restore Jerusalem to what it was, once was. And that begins to pave the way for God to do the most amazing thing. And that is to send his son to die for the sins of humanity. And for those over the course of human history right up till today who put their faith in him. To receive eternal life with God in heaven one day. Do you see the great work that Nehemiah was going to do? It wasn't about brick and mortar. It wasn't about steel. Pretty sure they didn't have steel back then. It wasn't about all of the things. It wasn't about the building itself. It was about what God would ultimately do because of the commitment of a group of people. And the critics and the skeptics tried to derail them from the great work of God. Listen, when we do anything for God's purpose, to help other people, to advance the gospel message, we can expect that criticism is going to come our way. I don't know about you. My problem is, is that I'm so surprised often that I'm, that I'm shocked that it happens. And yet Nehemiah demonstrates that it will happen I think he did four things to handle the crisis and to handle the critics, if you will. He handled them first and foremost by expecting that he would have critics. He understood that the work that he was going to do was for God, and he expected that criticism would come his way. You can tell that he expected it because it didn't deter him from the mission. It didn't derail him. He had to have expected it. His, his passion and his exuberance wasn't like taken away because of the criticism of these two and three men. But I'm sure that Nehemiah, I want you to hear this church, I'm sure that Nehemiah had his moments of doubt. Don't you think? Anyone would. Anyone would. I'm sure that he had his moments of feeling like what he was doing was worthless, but he expected, first and foremost, that criticism would come his way. The second thing he did was he identified the critics. These were men that would never be for him unless God moved in their heart in a great way. He understood where it was coming from. In fact, the Jewish people, for the most part, were fully behind what he was doing. And so he identified that the critics probably weren't going to be with him anyway. And so the third thing he did is he prayed about the criticism. And some of you are like, but Todd, listen to his prayer. He's like really asking God to do a number on his critics. I wonder what our prayers would look like if they were revealed when we have critics come our way, in all honesty. And so he prayed about the criticism. He prayed that God would help him through the criticism. And then the last thing he did is he resumed the work. 
As soon as he had given it to God, he got the people together and he began the work. And some of you are in here today and you've just made a commitment to the Lord in your spiritual journey. Maybe some of you have recently dedicated your life to Jesus. Maybe you've accepted him as your savior recently. And the first thing you do is tell a friend about it and they look at you and they go, oh, you're going to be one of those new Jesus freaks. Criticism. Derailing God's best for you. Or maybe you've made a commitment to all in and you wrote down a financial number and you told a friend about it and they're like, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to give money away to your church? Criticism, derailing God's best for you. Or maybe you're here today and over the past few months, you know that there's a friend that you needed to go and ask for forgiveness from or maybe you needed to restore a relationship and God has called you to do it and you speak it to someone and you mention it to a friend who you think is a good friend and all of a sudden all they're doing is trying to get you off and away from that thing that God has called you to do. In church, I'm right there. I give in a lot. I get derailed. I get discouraged by the critics and the skeptics. When we do anything for God, when we do anything for his kingdom, when we do anything to advance the gospel, when we do anything to help others, we can expect the criticism is going to come our way. I want you to hear from two of my friends, and I'm going to ask Peaches and Cole Peterson to come on up on stage. Been friends, Cynthia and I have been friends with Peaches and Cole for, um, I guess, about seven years now, seven or eight years they came to Hilton Head Island Community Church when we were down at the old place with low ceilings and no air conditioner. So if you come in here and you complain you're cold, you can talk to them about that, all right? So uh, why don't you give it up for Peaches and Cole Peterson this morning. Up behind us are some of your credentials, Peaches and Cole. Um, And uh, Peaches and Cole have, um, you guys moved here. What year did y'all move here? What was that, 2007? We don't know. You don't know? You don't know I when you moved here? I think nine or ten years. Yeah, yeah. nine or ten years. Nine or ten years. And I remember, the, I remember the first time that y'all came to our church back at the old building when we were just <laughs> new and um, we were just getting started as a church. And um, they have been good friends. Cole has served um, uh, with us here on our finance team, our stewardship team through the years. And they have an amazing resume, an amazing background of what God has done in their vocational life, but um, also with their family. They have two amazing kids and now two amazing grandsons. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, two amazing grandsons. And uh, it's just really amazing and neat to see what God has done in and through them, especially since you guys have been here. But it hasn't always been easy. No, it hasn't. Peaches, why don't you tell us about (laughs) a situation that you have had um, in your life um, where you had criticism come your way when you knew that God was asking you to do something big for him? I was so excited when we moved here. This is not what we expected to do in retirement. We were going to California, and we ended up here. (laughs) We're glad you ended up here, by the way. Thank (laughs) you. And he thought about you know, we have a philosophy that wherever you land, your responsibility, especially when you have been blessed as we have, is to give back to the community. And that's what I started to, to do. I wound up in, I was, I was on a number of boards, but I'm going to tell you about one particular board, Mitchellville Preservation Project. I was recommended to this board, and I don't know why, but I heard the story, and because I love history, 
I decided to um, be on this board. And what I quickly came to realize, living on this island, there are two islands. There's the black island and the white island. There's the rich island and the poor island. Mm. And what was on my heart, and God really put this on my heart because I really prayed about this, whether I should continue with this board, is this project that I'm working on is the thing that could bring this island together. It has been, God has placed this on my heart and I've tried to walk away and I can't. And I, can't. Mm. I think this is a thing that this island can come together on. And, and I could talk a long time about this, but I, that about I won't. Um, when I got on the board, I was charged with fund development. Why I always get development, I don't know. <laughs> But the, since I'm logical by nature, I started to talk to people and figure out what had gone on with this project before. Because you see, it had started in 2010. And I've been on the board four years now. And I couldn't figure out why it wasn't farther, why it hadn't done better than it had done. What is going on? Why do the people, why are people so negative on this island? Why, when you say Mitchellville, they frown up? Why, what is that about? So as I talk with people, what I learned was a lot of gossip, innuendo, and criticism. Mm, yeah. um, and I know I had to tackle two communities. See, I'm not a Gullah person. I'm a Kumya. And so I had to understand the Gullah community in perspective. So I spent a lot of time going to all of the Native Island churches, listening, talking, um, and trying to get them to trust me. There's a lack of trust, and they just did not trust me. In fact, one person said, you know you're light-skinned, so you have white blood, so I'm not gonna trust you. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end of the island, I would get, you're black, because I'm not gonna trust you. What are you doing this for? What are you doing this for? Why are you doing this? And so I spent a lot of time trying to convince people that I was doing this not because of any glory or honor I might get, but because I was compelled to do it. Mm. And because I'm a Christian, I think that everything I'm compelled to do comes from God. Mm. And so I had to identify the critics and figure out what they were going for. And by the way, my first critics was the, were the people on the board I was on. Because as I learned things, I learned things that were not good regarding the board. And so I had to be honest. And I said, this is where we are. This is what I'm hearing. This is what people are telling me. Tell me what's real and what's not. And the board got so angry that the chair of the board walked away and said, you do it, <laughs> and left the room. Wow. So I did it. <laughs> I picked up the gauntlet. And I started to think about it. The first thing I instituted in that board is that we begin every board meeting with a prayer. We pray. And we pray for direction, and we pray for strength, and we pray for God's hand in everything that we do so that we might make this island one. And so as I've continued this journey, I've been board chair for about two years now. Um, <clears throat> I've been told many nasty things. People are very nasty sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
And this goes all the way from your town council all the way down to a member on the street. People will walk away when they see me coming. <laughs> um, they still, some of them don't understand. And let me tell you what Mitchellville is so you understand the significance of this. Mitchellville was formed two years before Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This was a experiment to see what would happen with the freed slaves once they were freed. General Mitchell was the man who came to this island. He was a New Yorker. And as the Union forces came to the south, they ended up with about 500 freed slaves, which they called contraband because they weren't legally free. And they were holed up in the fort at the north end of the island. The soldiers, some of them didn't want these black people with them. The general, there was a crowded fort, so he came up with this idea of Mitchellville. This was the first free community of African Americans two years before Emancipation Proclamation. We have covered the records that 50 to 75% of all African Americans were here, or their ancestors were here at some time before they were taken north. Harriet Tubman spent eight years on Hilton Head Island. She was a spy um, for the northern troops, but she told slaves in the surrounding southern states, if you can get to this island, I will take you north. Wow. Mitchellville had the first mandatory uh, education uh, in the state of South Carolina. Mitchellville is a story of perseverance, it's a story of everything it means to be American, a perseverance, of freedom, and of what you could do if given the opportunity. Those are American values. So this is not an African-American story. Do not be fooled. This is an American story. There were troops that were here on this island protecting these people so that their slave owners wouldn't come back and take them back into slavery. General Mitchell uh, before he came to the, the uh, Union forces, was an astronomer. And if you read his story, he talks about why was he in the Army. He did not like war. This is the interesting thing. Ten months after Mitchellville was formed, he died. And if you look at his readings, which I've done, it's like this was his God mission. And once he placed this community, God took him home. He's buried wow. back in New York. So it's a credit to the people of Mitchellville, but it's a credit to Americans, both black and white. And that's the beauty of the story. Everyone has a place in the story. You see, nobody raises a child along and takes a village. And so um, now I get people saying to me, um, this is going to be a good thing. But I still have those critics that when I walk away, they say very nasty things that I hear about and they don't think I hear about. Wow. The town council um, has shown their support to Mitchellville. When I started, they didn't want to talk to me about it. And I kept pounding at their door. I kept going to every town council meeting and set up front. I made them look at me every town council. <laughs> I would stand up at every <laughs> meeting they knew I was going to talk about. I would go to their office in private mm. once a week. 
<laughs> my family knows that I gave about 60 to 80 hours, and I feel very sorry mm -hmm. for my husband because there are some nights that he didn't see me, and when he saw me, I would crawl in the bed and put the covers mm -hmm. over my head. I was very depressed. Wow. Uh, it was very hard. And so the town council came alongside us just last year, and we've hired an executive director for Mitchellville. Uh, the board has completely turned over. The people that were on the board when I was on the board, they're gone. And um, sometimes people need to be gone. Um, and so the board is functioning. We have an executive director. Um, about nine months ago, myself and um, the mayor of the town uh, did a presentation to the county, and we asked for a large sum of money, which we were told two weeks ago we got it. And so what we're going to do with that money, part of it, is we're developing a master plan for the, for the park. It's called Historical Mitchellville Freedom Park. We changed the name. There are, and where can they, uh, just oh, so they know, where can they visit it? It is on the corner, if you go Beach City Road, down to the end. To the end. Yep. That is the historic Mitchellville it's amazing. site. Amazing. Um, We've gotten the money. We have found the praise house, which is a church. We've done excavations. We found the praise house. We found the homes. We found the general store. We found 22,000 artifacts from that time. Uh, mm -hmm. It is a wonderful thing. But this has been your life over the last life. eight years, uh, almost yeah. decade, really. Since I've been, yep, since and, I've been here. And you had criticism. You had detractors. You had people... Mm -hmm. I, I want to know, Peaches, when you laid your head at, on some of those very late nights, when you laid your head on your pillow, how did you get through it? Because I would imagine that there's a lot of people in here who have their Mitchellville project that they're working on, and there are a lot of people that are crying out against them. What did you do? I how got did you closer to God and just prayed, and yeah. I would cry to God, really, on my knees. And I mm. have women who are my prayer warriors mm. that they would talk to me and ask me, how you doing? How you doing? Take care of yourself. Because I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I mean, I was committed. Um, mm. And they are constantly, constantly mm. praying for me. Mm. Those people who are Christians that believe in this project are constantly praying for myself on the board. And we hear that. We hear those prayers. We feel those prayers. When we hired Ahmad last year, my kids came and they said to Ahmad, thank you for giving our mothers back to us. <laughs> Coleman yeah. said, thank mm. you for giving my wife back to me wow. because I can somewhat have a normal existence. I would like to be a retired person, but I'm really not. <laughs> well, I'm, I want to say on behalf of our church, I love what is going on at Mitchellville. Um, it is a light of freedom and, like you said, an American story. And there are so many parallels to the freedom that we can have in Christ, too. So um, thank you for your work, and thank you for not giving up. Um, and I just want to thank you for that, Peaches. Right now. Cole, you've been involved in corporate America, and not a lot of people know your story, but... You were up against criticism throughout your career. Tell us a little bit about that at Walmart. Uh, first, uh, good morning, church. Good morning. You know, I, uh, I was, we were in the 9 o'clock uh, service this morning, which was kind of exciting because 
Uh, I'm sorry, Lord, but I'm usually rolling over at 9 a.m. But uh, this was, <laughs> it was really it was really great to, to see everybody this morning. And so many nice people came up to me and said, hey, this is great to have you at our church here. It's welcome. <laughs> I says, I've only been around. How long have you been here? Well, about eight years. Yeah, yeah you know, and let, but, let me be clear on that. They're yeah. members at Hilton Head Island Community Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was really well, one of those things. But mm. in the case of, of uh, Peaches and myself, I don't know, it just seems like the Lord has placed us in places wherever we have been. Uh, we trust in him and we end up there. And our commitment is just always is a challenge of uh, is, are we better? Is the place better? Are people better for uh, us having been there? And we just continue to call on him and just ask him to lead us in the right way. That's how we ended up in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas. Two Chicago kids ended up in Bentonville, Arkansas in 1994. Our career started in Chicago, and then we were 10 years in St. Louis, uh, where we were both involved in business there. And uh, we thought that's where we were going to retire, okay, and that uh, we were going to get the, uh, the classic gold watch, and the kids and grandkids <laughs> would grow up there, and, and that would be great. But then all of a sudden, uh, one day, this uh, family called, the Walton family called and said, hey, we've got this opportunity for you in, uh, in, in, uh, in Arkansas. And we said, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but as things would, uh, as things would work out, uh, there was a gentleman who ended up being my mentor. His name was Don Sodaquist, who was just one of the finest Christian men that I'll ever, uh, ever know. Uh, and, and I think it was that relationship that encouraged me to really want to come in the first place. And I said to Peaches that when I went to interview there, because I wasn't inclined to take the job, I noticed something there that never dawned on me in the other uh, positions that I had hired, and that was in each of the offices where I went to interview a person, they had a Bible on the desk. Okay, they had a Bible on the desk or a Bible on the bookshelf behind mm -hmm. them. Now, now, maybe that was true before in other places, but it's the first time that I'd ever really noticed it in such an, an obvious place to me. Uh, but anyway, getting to it, the name of the job was what Sam Walton called uh, the head of the people division, and that was basically the, the number one human resource person who was responsible for human resources, not just in the United States, but, but uh, the world over. Uh, and so I did accept the job. It was a great opportunity for me. And so when I got there and sat down and began to talk to people, and I said, well, exactly what is it that we're looking to accomplish here? And they says, well, you know, we're going to start, uh, you know, moving uh, to foreign countries. And I says, oh, because we weren't in California. So we're we going to California then? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> and, uh, and they were saying, no, we're going a little further than California. And uh, so we're going to be headed into Canada, and we're going to go Asia, and we're going to do Argentina and Brazil. And, and so I realized how big a job this was. Uh, and then one of the things that dawned on me, first and foremost, was, guess what? We didn't have enough people. And so I sat down with my slide rule and, uh, you know, my pencil and started pushing things around in the whole nine yards. And I realized that we were going to really have to initiate some new programs. There was something else that really struck me uh, as I spent more time with the organization. And that is, when I looked at the people that we were serving, a number of the people in leadership positions did not look like the people that we were serving. Okay. Women were some of the obviously uh, greater than half of the of uh, our customers, if not more, and yet when I looked at the leadership group, okay, we didn't have a lot of women in the leadership positions. Uh, when you looked at uh, the communities that we served, there were obviously a lot of Latino, Asian, and African American communities that we served significantly, and our leadership didn't look like that. And so, 
after understanding all of this and putting my plans together, uh, I took that to the executive committee. I was really very excited about it. And that went over like a submarine with screen doors. <laughs> and I looked at myself and I says, now wait a minute now. I said, my logic says that we're going to be moving out. We're going to need all of this talent. And I says, on top of that, we need to really go out to these colleges and get more uh, young, bright men and women of all colors to get into this organization because we're going to need them as we grow. And I came back and presented that one. Uh, and that one went over like a lead balloon. So I wasn't really the, a real popular kid on the block, and they're saying, well, you come to this northern carpetbagger down here trying to tell us how to run the business all of a sudden. Mm. And I had a great deal of criticism, mm. a great deal of criticism. And so one of the things I had to begin to understand was what was the nature of the criticism itself uh, and to try to understand it. Well, I was blessed with the fact that I met a number of great Christian men at the time who would come to me afterwards uh, and say, you know, let's, let's go have dinner, okay? Uh, and Coleman, I understand what it is that you're, you're trying to uh, accomplish, uh, but let me help you understand what some of the hesitancies are, what some of the anxieties are, what some of the discomfort is, and maybe some of the ways that we need to, to kind of work this a bit more. Uh, and we uh, had a great, uh, I was fortunate enough to, Peaches and I both, to find a wonderful church, uh, Fellowship Bible Church in, in Northwest Arkansas, which was just a wonderful, wonderful place for us where we would go do, every Sunday to pray, but then we were also in a group that would pray, and we just had great Christian friends. And they were aware of the kind of criticism that I was getting because on some days I'm saying, uh, is this business imperative not make sense? or exactly what is really happening here. Uh, and some of my biggest pushbacks, by the way, were members of my executive committee. Uh, now, by the way, let me just uh, share something with you. Uh, there was a time when I would come home with these business issues and my kids would ask me, well, really, uh, what's going on at work? And I'd have to tell them, uh, well, it was so confidential that I'd say, if I tell you, I'll have to kill you. <laughs> You told okay. your kids this. Yeah, yeah I okay, told just kids making this. sure it's clarified. So on, on the, then I'd come back another time and say, what's going on in the business? And they, I, I, I told them, I says, you know, this stuff is so pressing and really so difficult. Kids, I said, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. Finally, Peaches says, Coleman, will you quit threatening to kill your children? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, but that's the kind of challenges that, that were going on uh, uh, at that particular time. Uh, the good news is, is that uh, as we began to move forward, people really began to understand mm. the logic and the rationale mm. of what it was we were trying to mm. accomplish. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, I, I think that, that over time, obviously, we were, at that time, we had grown to an organization of 1.2 million people. Uh, and as my wife always uh, reminds me, I knew everybody by their first name. Because I'd say, hey, brother, how you doing? Sister, what's going on over there? How you doing? Uh, but I was proud as I would look at the annual meetings or I would go around is that I looked at, if you look at Walmart today and you look at the leadership, uh, there's uh, so well represented by people of color, so well uh, represented by uh, such so many talented women up to and including its board. Uh, and one of the interesting things is, is even that pushback that I got about having uh, these young kids, whippersnappers coming from college, uh, the CEO of Walmart today is one of those young management trainees. Yes, yes. And he's also one of the finest Christians that you'd ever want to meet. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he meets with another great Christian. I sit, also sit on the board of J.B. Hunt. 
uh, and that CEO is John. The two of them meet in a Bible group mm. every Wednesday morning, a men's That's Bible incredible. group. So sometimes you look back and you just say, Lord, yeah. is this the way? And he tells you, yeah, man. this is the way. That's awesome, so. man. That's fantastic. You know, it's what strikes me, absolutely. <laughs> what strikes me so much about both of your stories, leading cultural change in an organization that probably still is the largest private organization or employer outside of the federal government in the world. Uh, trying to lead change in an organization like that must have been incredibly difficult and came with so much criticism and pushback. And Peaches, you leading and you've led other nonprofit organizations to cultural change. It's difficult. It's incredibly hard. And you're going to have criticism. What strikes me in both of the stories that you told, the criticism came from within. Do you catch that? The criticism came from within. And I'm just like Nehemiah when he got to Jerusalem, three of his greatest critics, even though they weren't Jewish, they were people who lived in the city of Jerusalem. They understood the city, and they were his greatest critics. And I love the fact that you got with Christian businessmen. I love the fact that you had women praying for you, because just like Nehemiah, we can't do it by ourselves. We, we can't do it by ourselves. We've, we've, anything that's going, that we're going to do that's great for God, uh, we are going to have criticism come our way. It may be overwhelming at times. We may have to have men and women in our lives who help us determine because some of what we hear as criticism isn't really criticism. It's actually wisdom. We just want to hear the criticism, right? And we need Christian men and women in our lives to help us discern that and help us figure it out. And I'm so thankful for your stories. Thank you so much for sharing. Peaches and Cole Peterson, why don't you give it up for them this morning? You know, whatever you're faced with today, whatever area of your life you're faced with that you hear the critics all the time, it's the noise that you hear constantly. I want you to know this, that God, just like he's, he was bigger than anything that Peaches and Cole ever came against, he is bigger than all of your greatest critics combined. Stay strong. Don't be deterred. Get back to the work. Once you identify who they are, once you pray through it, then get back to the work that God has called you to do. Look at the change that they made. Look at the change that Nehemiah made. And look at the change that you could make by continuing to follow God and being obedient to what he's calling you to do. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I just thank you so much for um, God, Peaches and Cole, and God, I thank you for their story of change, the, the leadership that they provided, one here in our community that is helping to bring our community together, to help unite Hilton Head Island, another that um, led cultural change in a huge organization that led it to be worldwide. And God, I thank you for those stories. But I thank you so much for the story of Nehemiah, who was bold enough to say yes when you told him to go back to Jerusalem. And he was bold enough to go to the king. And he was bold enough to go outside of what he knew was comfortable in Persia. And he went to Jerusalem and you used him in an amazing way. But it wasn't all fun along the way. And God, I pray for each and every person who's here today. 
God, whatever critic, whatever skeptic, whatever they hear, the noise that they hear from the detractors, Father God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that they would be able to expect it, to identify what it is, to pray through it. And God, right now, I pray that you would reveal to them, reveal to us what work we need to get back to doing. God, may we get back to work doing the thing that you've called us to do. May we not be deterred from what you've asked us to do, what you've told us to do, and what you've called us to do. God, may we do it with a tenaciousness. May we do it with confidence, and may you be the one that leads us. And I pray all this in the strong and the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen this morning.